I don't think so. I'll just go for it and don't laugh up there, Jacob. I mean, unless I tell a joke, but. Yeah. Mine is on silent and airplane mode in the front pew. I'm just going to start talking so that way I get in the groove of it. Well, church, I'm so excited uh, to be able to get together next Sunday. Man, that is going to be great. I'm so looking forward uh, to being in the pews and worshiping alongside of you. It's going to be a powerful time in the presence of God. So, so come on out next week. We're going to be taking all the safety protocols, and it's going to be just a great time in the presence of God. This morning, if you got your Bibles, I want you to open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you can put your finger on it. Uh, We'll we'll be there in just a little bit. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever done something, uh, you worked hard, you you put a lot of effort into it, maybe you spent a lot of time, uh, you put a lot of money into it, and and you you get to the end of the day and you look back and you wonder, man, was this worth it? I, I put all this energy, I put my heart and soul into this project, but was it worth it? Uh, this past weekend, uh, I did just that. Uh, oh, impersonate you. Okay. Good morning, First Assembly. It is good to see you all here today. What do you, peppermint? Still recording? Still good? All right. 417. Okay. Got this. Well, church, I am so excited for next week. I hope you're all going to be there. It's going to be a great time getting to worship together uh, next to fellow believers and, and being in the presence of God. I can't wait for next week. So be sure to come on out. We'll be following all those safety protocols. And it's just going to be a great time in God's presence. This morning, if you got your Bibles, I want you to grab them and open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to be looking uh, in there in just a moment, so you can put your finger there. And and I want to start out with a question. Have you ever had a time in your life where you just put a lot of effort into something? I mean, you put a lot of time, you you put a lot of, again, you put a lot of effort, maybe you put a lot of money into something, and you get to the end of the day, you look back at it, and you ask yourself, was this worth it? Was Was this even worth it? 
Last weekend, I had uh, a moment just like that. See, at the beginning of the weekend, uh, I made a commitment and I said, all right, this weekend, I'm going to teach my son how to ride a bike. Right? That was my goal. I had tried a little bit last year, and it was just a colossal failure. And, and this year I thought, he's old enough, we're going to make this happen. So I sat down with my wife, and we're talking through, what do I need to do? How do I need to coach him? So we're talking coaching strategies, you know, and I, I realized, i got to be tough, right? Man, i got to teach this kid to be a man, right? If you fall off your bike, you get back up. If you get a scratch, rub some dirt on it, right? We're not going to fail. We're going to keep going. And the second thing I knew that we needed to, to teach him was uh, I, I needed to encourage him. I needed to challenge him. I needed to be uh, his biggest fan and, and just tell him, you can do this. You got this. So the time came, that afternoon came, uh, I took the training wheels off, put the helmet on, I put him on the bike, and I started giving him uh, a pep talk, right? And I'm telling him all these things like, you can do this, you got this. If you fall down, you're going to get back up again. This is going to be great. And, and I get behind him, and I'm about ready to push the bike, and I'm just envisioning like that classic dad moment, right? You see it on YouTube all the time. You know, the dad pushes his kid, and then all of a sudden, the kid rides off into the sunset, and I'm there cheering him on, and I'm ready for that to happen, right? And, and I get out there, and, and I push him and, and say, you got this, son, and he falls over. So we, we get back up, and I push him again, and he falls over again, and again and again and after about 20 times he got really good at falling I mean he was falling with style but but up to that point he had never even taken one pedal on his own he had never balanced on his own and I keep working with him and I keep trying we go another 20 times and eventually we get about 10 feet I mean this was a big accomplishment this was this was 10 feet and we're we're feeling pretty good so we move out to the sidewalk we think this is going to be a little faster and, and I push him and he falls over and I push him and he falls over and I'm just like what's going on and I realize he's not focused on the target, but he's focused on finding a soft landing spot. So he's not focused on riding his bike. He just wants to crash in the grass and not on the cement. And we get nowhere. And it just feels pointless. So we take a break, and eventually we come back out to the backyard, and we try again. And, and we got nowhere. At the end of the day, he was a crash artist, not a bike expert. And, and I just thought, man, was this worth it? Put all this effort into it. Was it worth it? Again, maybe you found yourself asking that question. Is it worth it? Maybe not about riding a bike, but maybe something more serious. Maybe like your faith in Jesus. Is this worth it? Is it worth it to live my life for Jesus? Is it worth it to give him everything? And is it worth it to be at church every Sunday and Wednesday night? Is it worth it to spend my time reading my Bible and praying daily? Is it worth it to volunteer? I mean, I could be doing so many other things right now. Man, I could be spending time with my family, but instead I'm serving, I'm trying to follow Jesus. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow his plans and, and not my own plans? Like I've got so many other ideas. Am I fulfilling my greatest potential right now by following Jesus? Or, or am I losing out? Am I missing out because I'm following Jesus? Is it worth it? Maybe you've asked that question before. Maybe you've wondered that. And this morning, again, I want to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 because in this passage, Paul, we, we've looked at his, his writings the last couple of weeks, and, and he asked this question, is it worth it? See, in this passage, he goes through and he looks at the different trials that he's faced, the different ways he's come through them, and he looks at, at, at the rewards, and he, he narrows it down. Is it worth it? So I want to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 4, it says this. 
But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And, he, and he, we went through all these things. It says in verse 6, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, and yet we are true. As unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and not yet killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And I want to stop there uh, this morning. So, so Paul is looking back at his time of ministry and his time of following Jesus. And, and keep in mind, Paul didn't always follow Jesus. At one point in his life, he, he opposed Jesus. He violently opposed Christians and approved of their death and, and tried to persecute him until he had this uh, encounter with Jesus that changed his life forever. And since that moment, he's been given everything he had for Jesus. So again, he recounts his trials. He, he looks back on how he got through those, and he looks at the reward he got at the end, and he asks that question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? So the first thing that Paul looked at with was uh, the first thing he looked at and the first conclusion he made was this. You will face trials when you follow Jesus. You will face trials when you follow Jesus. It's inevitable. If you follow Jesus, you're going to face trials. And Paul breaks down three different types of, of trials that we go through as Christians. The first one that, that Paul talks about is trials that everyone faces. I mean, these are generic trials. He, he calls them afflictions, hardships, and calamities. See, these trials hit everyone. It, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a man, a woman, black or white, uh, poor or rich, a saint or a sinner. Uh, because you live on this earth, because Adam and Eve sinned and, and sin entered this world, we're going to go through hardships. We're going to go through things that, that we feel like we don't deserve it right? Things that this world throws at us. So maybe a loved one dies. You get diagnosed with cancer. You lose a job. Maybe the world is facing a pandemic, right? We go through hardships, and some people more than others. And it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But this is the first kind of hardship that Paul says you're going to face. The second kind is this, trials that you face specifically because you follow Jesus. So there's generic trials and there's trials that you go through specifically because you follow Jesus. And, and these are the three he lists. Beatings, imprisonments, and riots. Now these weren't your typical trials for your average citizen. You know, maybe these are more for a criminal uh, rather than your average citizen. But Paul, as a follower of Christ, everywhere he went, he shared the good news of Jesus. And because of this, man, people got angry. People got after him. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was part of riots. I mean, there was crazy things that Paul went through because the specific reason was he followed Jesus. And people didn't like that. People persecuted him. What trials are you facing today because of your faith in Jesus? What trials? You may not be facing trials like Paul faced, right? You, you may not... Uh, be worried about being thrown in prison or about receiving death threats because of your faith in Christ. But as followers of Christ, we will face trials because of him. 
You might get made fun of. You might feel excluded from your coworkers, or you feel like you're missing out on things. You might miss out on that promotion. Uh, you may get gossiped about or labeled, right? They're all different things that, that we can go through. Now, you may never face the same trials as Paul, but think about this. Let me ask you this. If you lived in a country, and there's many countries this way, if you lived in a country where following Jesus meant that you could be imprisoned, meant that you may lose your life, meant that you were going to lose your family, would you still follow Jesus? Would you still follow him? Or are you only following him today because that's the standard in your house or because your parents expect it or a spouse expects it? Expects it? Or do you follow Jesus because he's your everything? And if I'm not facing trials for following Jesus, then I have to ask myself, am I living my faith loud enough? Am I living my faith loud enough? Or if I'm, am I just coasting as a Christian? See, as followers of Christ, our lives should be different from the rest of this world. Now the third kind. The third kind of trial that Paul talks about are the ones that you voluntarily go through for Jesus right? You don't go through them because of Jesus. You go through them voluntarily. You sign up and say, yes, pick me. God, I want to do that for you. So Paul describes these as labors, sleepless nights, hunger, right? Paul, uh, he, he voluntarily went through these storms. Most of the time, churches didn't support him in his missionary's journeys. He just went and he worked hard. He, he went through many, many labors so that people could hear about Jesus. He also went through many sleepless nights, Times where he would be praying for new believers, he would be play, praying for uh, church plants, he would be praying uh, just for God's help. And he spent many sleepless nights doing the work God had called him to do. He went through times where he fasted, where he was hungry because he wanted to see a change. He gave up what he had so others could have, so others could hear about the gospel. He volunteered because he realized it wasn't about himself. He realized the message uh, wasn't just for him, but the message of Jesus dying on the cross was for everyone. And he was going to do whatever it took to share that good news with the whole world. Now, I have seen so many of you volunteer so many of you catch this vision of, man, I need to give up so that others can have. I need to give so others can get. I need to share this gospel, right? And, and, and every Sunday morning here at AFA, over 50 of you are volunteering to make this happen so others can hear about Jesus. There's people out there uh, at, at AFA, you're here every, you're serving every Sunday morning, you're serving every Wednesday night, every big event, you are there because, not because it's like, look at me. No, you're not getting uh, attention, you're not getting an applause for it, but you're doing it because you want to see others grow in Christ. You want to see people come to Christ who had no hope, but now they have hope. They were dead, but now they're alive right? You've gone through these labors. You, you, you've taught classes. You've spent hours preparing. You know, youth leaders out there, you've gone to youth conference and you've gone to camp and there's been sleepless nights, but because you love teenagers, you've woken up uh, maybe in the middle of the night and you just felt this urge of, man, I need to pray for this missionary across the globe or I need to pray for my neighbor across the street and you spent sleepless nights. You've gone without so that others can have. You've put others first and church, I want to commend you. Keep doing it. Never stop serving. Even in the midst of a pandemic, you may not have your normal Sunday morning routine, but find other ways to serve. Find ways to bless your neighbors. Find someone to call 
and encourage them. You can even go to our website today. There's a tab and it says get involved. And you can see different ways that you can make a difference, that you can tell others about Jesus. Don't stop volunteering to go through those trials because it's all about sharing Christ with this world. In fact, John 16, 33, Jesus says this, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will. Not you might, not maybe, but you will. You will go through trials, whether those are generic ones that everybody goes through, whether they're ones you go through because you follow Jesus, or ones you volunteer so that others can hear about Jesus. You will go through trials. But Paul doesn't stop there. He continues on and he begins to to talk about how he got through those trials. So he begins to share what, what I would like to label this morning as the Christian's toolbox. The Christian's toolbox. See, as Christians, we have a different set of tools to help us overcome trials than what the world does. We have a different toolbox than the rest of the world. Uh, the other day I was installing a transition in my basement between some carpet and, and some vinyl, and uh, I consider myself fairly handy. I've had to learn a lot of things over the years. And, but this was a new experience for me because I had to drill through concrete. I had to make some holes in the, the cement. And uh, I thought, yeah, I can do this. I've got drill bits specifically labeled for concrete, and I've got a drill. So, you know, I'm going to put them together. I'm going to drill through, and, and it's going to be great. So I, I label everything. I, I've got my marks. I just got to drill four holes. And, and I take out my drill, my drill bit, and I start going to town on it. And, like, nothing happens. I mean, nothing. I, I'm four holes, I'm working hard on it, half an hour in, and, and I'm still not all the way through. It was tough work. And I realized in that moment, I don't have the right tool for the job, right? Uh, I did some research. I needed a hammer drill to be able to get through that concrete. Well, I rented that thing, and I was through in a matter of seconds. It pays to have the right tool for the job. And as Christians, we have a different set of tools than the world does to face storms and the trials that we go through. Now, this world offers a toolbox, and I want to show you that and, and highlight the world's toolbox for you this morning. Uh, they've got a few tools in it that I want to share with you this morning. The first one uh, is this. The first tool the world offers is to fight back, to use our anger, to use our aggression, you know, and kind of stick it to the man. Right? It's not our fault that we're going through this trial, so we try to pick on someone and say it's their fault. And we do everything we can to get back at them, to try to fight through this storm. So I would compare it in our toolbox as, as the hammer. Right? It's the hammer. Now, hammer is a useful tool. love using a hammer. Uh, but let's be honest, there's a lot of times when you use the hammer and you shouldn't have. Right? I've been there. And something's stuck, and it's just like, oh, there's a right way to do this. And then there's a hammer, right? And you just go to town on that thing. And I'll tell you what, it gets the job done. But sometimes it's more broken than when it started out with, right? You end up with a worse product than when you started. And it's the same way when we take out our anger and our aggression and we just chip away and, and we can make a bigger mess than what we started out with. I mean, anger is a good thing. God gave us the emotion of anger. Jesus used anger, but he used it for good. The Bible says in your anger, don't sin. Don't sin, but use your anger for a good. So the world offers anger and aggression and a hammer, but a lot of times that backfires on us. Second tool that the world offers is a quick fix. A quick fix. Do whatever you can to get out of that storm as fast as you can. Whether it's lie, cheat, steal, right? We've all been tempted. Now, I would compare that to the duct tape of the toolbox, right? Uh, duct tape, very useful, 
love duct tape, used it to do a lot of stuff. But this typically isn't the right tool for the job. It's just the quickest tool for the job, right? You duct tape it up, you make it all nice, and it's, and it's perfect. But how long is it going to last? How, how long is it going to work? I once was at an amusement park and went by a thrill ride, and I thought, should I ride that? You know, it looks fun, but it looks pretty dangerous. And I went up, got in line, and I realized there's a lot of duct tape holding that thing up. I don't trust this thing. Later that day, um, someone got seriously injured on that ride. I don't know if it was because they were fixing it with duct tape, uh, but I'm glad I didn't make that decision, and I'm glad that uh, hopefully they stopped using duct tape to fix it, right? We, we all try to do quick fixes, but lying, cheating, and stealing, that doesn't help anything. It makes the problem worse. It may get you through temporarily, but you're just going to make another storm that you're going to have to fight. The last tool in the, the world's toolbox really isn't a tool at all, but it's, it's more of a, how can I avoid this situation? How can I avoid this storm? How can I run from my problems? How can I ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist? So maybe you run to alcohol or, or to drugs or to entertainment, or you just overspend to try to make yourself feel better. And, and we just try to run from our problems, hoping that it will solve itself. So in the world's toolbox, it's kind of like, a lot of cash, right? And rather than you see the problem, rather than fix it yourself, you say, you know what? I'm not going to get messy. I'm not going to get dirty. I'm just going to pay somebody else to do it. I'm going to pay someone else to fix my problems, and we try to run away from it. We just try to throw money at it and say, ah, this is all going to go away. So this is the world's toolbox. Your hammer, your duct tape, your anger, your aggression, your quick fix, you're running away from your problems. But, but Paul lists the Christian's toolbox. And if we read it here in verse 6, it says, By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. So Paul gives us a, a little beefier toolbox to pull from as Christians. And two of them that I specifically want to just hone in on for a second, are the Holy Spirit and the power of God. The Holy Spirit and the power of God. Now, these aren't your normal hand tools anymore, right? If I were Tim the Tool Man Taylor on Home Improvement, I mean, this would be your Binford 5000 tool, right? We're talking about some serious power that we have as Christians that the rest of the world doesn't because we've got the Holy Spirit and we've got the power of God inside of us. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, it says, The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. Right? The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit is inside of you. Is inside of you. You have access to power that is beyond your imagination to endure, to weather the storm. You see, if God is going to bring you into a storm, He's not going to bring you into it without equipping you to get out of it. God is going to equip you. He's going to give you every tool that you need to get out, right? He's given you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. He's given you the, the power of God. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have the power of God inside of you. Now, he could have stopped at those two, but he went on. He says, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, right? And, and the first one that struck me was purity. I looked up the definition of purity and and it says, freedom from adulteration or contamination. 
And that just struck me. Freedom. Purity is freedom. See, a lot of times in this world, we view it the opposite way. We think, you know what? I'm going to go do whatever I want. I'm going to think about whatever I want. I'm going to look with whatever I want. And I'm going to do with my body whatever we want. And we, we call that freedom. That's not freedom. That's captivity. Because now you've got to deal with the consequences. Now you always got to look over your shoulder. Now, now these things have held you captive. But, but the Bible says, man, purity, it's freedom. It's freedom. You don't have to worry. You don't have to watch out. You, you don't have to worry about anything because you've stayed pure. You've done it the right way. If you are not living a life of purity in the things that you do and the things that you look at, in the, the things that you think, then you are in captivity. But that can change. Those chains don't have to hold you down anymore. When you live in purity, when you live in freedom, you don't have to worry about those consequences anymore. So all of these, purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, genuine love, truthful speech, righteousness, you can't just live on these, you can't just, you're not just born with these, you can't live with these just on your own, but you need the power of God inside of you so that he can equip you with all of these tools to get you through the storms in life. And unlike the world's toolbox, when you get done with the Christian toolbox, when you get through that storm, you're not going to have regrets because you've done it the right way, because you've stayed pure, because you've stayed true to God. And, and when you get through that storm, you're going to be stronger. You're going to be better for it because you endured it and you endured it the right way. Again, in that verse, John chapter 16, it says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. God has, over, God has equipped you to overcome hardships that you're going through. He's, he's helped you to overcome the generic trials, uh, the trials that you're facing because you're serving him, and the trials that you volunteered for, right? We have the Christian toolbox at our disposal that God wants to use to help us get through the storms. So Paul, he's talked about the risks, he's talked about the trials, he's, he's talked about how he's gotten through them, and now he talks about the reward, the best part of all. And he answers that question, is it worth it? Is following Jesus worth it? And he comes to this conclusion. This is his conclusion. The reward is greater than the risk. It's worth it. Church, it is worth it to follow Jesus. See, here's the risk that Paul talks about. That on the outside, in verse 8, on the outside, uh, we may be treated like an imposter. We may be unknown. We may be dying, punished, sorrowful, poor, and have nothing. Now, that list sounds terrible, but it's got a few things in common. It's external, it's temporary, and it can't change who you are. Those are all superficial things. The risks are all superficial. But the reward is this. You will be true. On the inside, you will be well-known by God. You will be alive, not killed, always rejoicing, making many rich and having everything. That's the reward. And the reward on the inside is greater than the risk on the outside. He says, we are treated as imposters, yet we are true. We are true. We've done it the right way. We know who we are. We know that we're created by God. We are unknown, yet we are well-known. 
So you can have a thousand friends and still feel like the only one in the room. You can still feel alone. But when you are known by God, when you are well known, nothing else matters. You can come to your best friend and share anything with him. And he's there for you and he knows you. As dying and yet behold, we live. As punished and yet not killed. Church, Jesus has come to give you life and life abundantly. We may look like we're dying on the outside, but on the inside, we are alive because Jesus lives inside of us. And we're experiencing life like never before. It says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Church, if you follow Jesus, then you always have something to be thankful for. You always have something to be rejoicing about. You have breath in your lungs. You have a Savior who loves you. You have eternal life to look forward to. No matter what's going on on the outside, we can be thankful. As poor, yet making many rich, we may not have much, but we have Jesus, and that's enough. And we can share that with as many people around us as we can, and it's going to make them the richest people in the world. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Again, we may not have much, but we have Jesus, and he's everything. He's enough. Church, he's enough. He is worth it. You may face trial after trial in this life, but it's not about this life. And it's about eternal life. Eternal life in heaven with Jesus. You can lose everything in this life, but there's something that no one can steal from you. And that's your relationship with Jesus. That's eternal. That's everything you need. It is enough. See, we may not go through crazy, difficult trials like Paul did. But yet, Paul went through terrible things. And still at the end of it, he said, it was worth it. It was worth it, and it's not even close. Church, every sacrifice you make for the sake of Jesus, whether it's enduring persecution for your faith, or whether it's volunteering so others can hear about Jesus, it's worth it. The sleepless nights, they're worth it. Giving so that, that others have, but maybe you don't have enough, it's worth it. Matthew chapter 10 says this, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Even the smallest thing, even giving a cup of cold water to a kid, it's worth it. It's worth it. Now, you may have asked this question before. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? And you know what? That's okay. Jesus isn't intimidated by your question. He's not put off by your question. In fact, Jesus asked the same question of you. Are you worth it? In the night before he was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying to his heavenly Father, and he said, My Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, do it. God, I don't want to die on the cross. Is there another way? But he says, not my will be done, but yours. And it was in that, that night, Jesus knew what he came to do. And he knew what needed to be done. And his answer to, are you worth it, was yes. You're worth it. He decided it was worth it to go to the cross, to endure the beating, the, the punishment, the, the shame, to be spit upon, to be mocked. And ultimately die so that you could have a second chance, so that you could have eternal life. He looked at you today and he says, you're worth it. You're worth it. 
Church, our only response is to look back at Jesus and say, no, Jesus, you're worth it. I'm going to live my life for you. Now, I mentioned that last weekend, I was trying to teach my son how to ride a bike, and it felt like it wasn't worth it. I felt like a failure. I felt like I had failed as a dad because, man, he did not ride his bike one lick. But we didn't give up. The next night, we went out, and we practiced some more in the backyard, and then in the driveway, and then we went out uh, to the sidewalk. And then this happened. Pause. He did it. It was worth it. Now, I, I totally can see why that dad in the YouTube video is jumping around uh, like he's just won the Super Bowl or the World Series, right? Because that's the way I felt. Because it was hard work, but he finally did it. Now, my next lesson I forgot to teach him was how to stop, but we'll get there, right? But I was such a proud dad. Church, it is worth it to follow Jesus. No matter what storm comes your way or what storm you're in the middle of, it's worth it. It's worth it. Let me leave you with one verse here this morning. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's not give up doing good because we're going to reap a reward. Keep doing it. Church, my challenge to you this week is take a moment to ask yourself or take a time to sit down with your family and ask the question, what can we do to bless those around us? What can I do to share Jesus uh, with my neighbor or someone who doesn't know about Jesus? So discuss that, figure it out, and then do it. Then do it. And then the next thing is if you're going through something hard right now, don't try to, don't try to go through it on your own. Don't try to get through it with a hammer and duct tape. Lean into the Holy Spirit. Allow him to equip you. Uh, allow him to give you the right tools to get through so you can come through that storm better and stronger than you were before. So lean into the Holy Spirit. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, thank you for my church family. God, thank you that we're all in this together. God, we're, we're facing the trials. We're facing the storms together. We know that we will face trials. We will face tribulations. But God, you have not abandoned us. In fact, you are here with us in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the storm. And you're equipping us. So God, I pray that you would uh, equip this church body to, to go out and bring your good news, even in crazy circumstances. God, that we would be willing to sacrifice. That, that we would be uh, volunteer to go through the storms. God, so others may know about you. So God, may we come out on the other end stronger and more in love with you. Bless this church family today. In Jesus' name, amen.